Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. It's hard to believe that 2018 is drawing to a close, and since we're never ones to let a good excuse for a party go unnoticed, we're celebrating December by pulling out all the stops. It's tipsy treat time! This month, we're wheeling out our bar carts for some homemade boozy fruit, Irish cream, a whiskey souffle, and, as the Victorians always like to say, We'll bring you some figgy pudding, we'll bring you some figgy pudding, we'll bring you some figgy pudding on preheated this month. But first, lie down on the couch because we're diving deep into our psyches and talking about why we bake or decide to sing on our podcasts because knowing our why helps us enjoy the holidays a little more. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. I never thought when I asked you to sing, you would actually do it in full character. Thank you. <laughs> that made my day. I've actually been practicing, so me, 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 me. Thank you very much. I'm available for your holiday parties, office parties. <laughs> yes. And if you just can't get enough of Christmas, make sure you are keeping your eye on the Christmas Past podcast, where Stefan and I will be on the fruitcake episode. Yes. And as soon as it drops, we will let you know which one it is. But in the meantime, you might just want to subscribe. That's the Christmas Past podcast by Brian Earle. Yeah, it's a really fun seasonal podcast, Andrea. I mean, unlike us who record every week, he has a nice time to get ready all year and then get really cozy and record and then just have his podcast at this time of year. So if you are looking for some entertainment that's really specific to the holidays, it's a really nice one to subscribe to. So we hope you do. And that's where I learned last year about real life-size gingerbread houses was listening to his podcast. So if you think you know everything about the holiday seasons, I bet you'll learn something if you listen to him. So hang on one moment. I must know. Are these big (laughs) enough to like enter like a full-size human can go inside? Yes. Mm -hmm. What? Yep, yep. I think the one that I like the most was in San Francisco. I'll post a link to it in the show notes, but it was pretty fabulous. That sounds really fun. It's like those ice hotels I have always yes. wanted to stay at, except this one I'd be like breaking off chunks. It's like Hansel and Gretel. That's what it is. <laughs> Come to life. The ice hotels are intriguing but cold, whereas the gingerbread mm-hmm. house is, you know, warm and cozy. Must smell really good and be very tempting. I know. Yeah. Mm. Well, listeners, this month we are kicking off what we hope to be a very fun and festive month of tipsy treats. We are doing lots of gift items, some liqueurs, some desserts that have some alcohol in them. And as such, we just want to talk at the very beginning of the month about how to stock up and how to budget for this month because it could be a little more on the expensive side. One suggestion you had, Andrea, was to ask people to gift you some alcohol. Maybe they can give your Christmas list a little uh, little look over and do a little gifting early. I did think about that. You know, it's something that there's oftentimes where people will say to you, can I bring you something or, you know, send me your Christmas wish. I certainly wouldn't request this as like a hostess gift. (laughs) Um, Although, you know, people like to bring a bottle of wine often. Mm. 
certainly if someone in your family or friend circle is asking you if you want something and you want to get a nice bourbon or whiskey or Irish whiskey or brandy, those bottles are pretty and I think someone might enjoy picking that up for you and you can tell them that you're definitely going to use it and in fact perhaps do a little bit of giving back. If the dessert turns out well, you can gift them with whatever you made with their liqueur that they gave you. That's a nice thought. And another thing in that same vein, often when I was in the States, I would get together with listeners Anne-Marie or Solveig or Megan, and we would have a tradition called Crafty Christmas, and we would make something to give. And that's actually when I started making that apricot liqueur that I've talked about in the past. So maybe consider going in with friends and having a day where you're going to make some things, all pitching in on the bottle, whatever kind of alcohol you're going to use, and then splitting the cost but having a fun time of getting together and making something to share and to gift as well. That's a great idea. I thought of you this week, in fact, because I have a recipe that I'm going to try. Now, Stefan, you actually put this idea in my head. Remember when you said you loved that cranberry chiffon pie that was on the cover of an old cookbook that you had? Mm, Five Seasons of Cranberry. Yes. The one you reference. (laughs) Yes. Indeed. That yes, that's hot the one. selling. <laughs> At the top seller of 1967. Yes. Well, of course, you sort of whispered that in my ear, and I've not been able to get it out of my head, especially since my husband loved the pumpkin chiffon pie so much. Yes. Then I saw one of the food bloggers that we've cooked from before, The View from Great Island. She posted a cranberry pie Mm -hmm. that just the colors were so vibrant and so beautiful. I thought to myself, this is going to make a great holiday dessert. Mm, Yes. So I am working on turning the cranberry pie recipe that she posted into a cranberry chiffon pie. And lo and behold, I need one tablespoon of cranberry liqueur. One tablespoon? (laughs) Isn't that how it always works? Yes, yes. <laughs> because then you will have a, an entire bottle, gallons left over, that after you've siphoned off your one tablespoon. Probably what I'll end up doing is maybe skipping that ingredient or thinking about maybe another liqueur that I have that could possibly substitute. And I have another suggestion, but I will wait until we intro our bake-along this week oh. to clue you into that. Okay. But yeah, one tablespoon, you have to question how much am I going to really taste this. Or maybe you could use an extract. You know, there's like brandy extracts. I don't know if there's any other liqueur extracts, but just to add that little hint of a flavor that she's probably looking for. Ooh, good point. I'll look that up. Yeah. Another thing to to think about when making these kind of desserts is that you don't need to go for the top shelf, high end, really extremely priced alcohols here. In Mm -hmm. fact, in many cases, we want to go straight to that bottom shelf where the big plastic jugs are. You are going to be adding a lot of sugar and other flavorings as well as fruit to most of these things we're making this month. And it simply is not the place to go for your high end. You You want a very neutral very basic vodka or whiskey, whatever alcohol we're talking about. So so definitely look low in the liquor store. Really good point. You want that fruit flavor or that cake flavor, that pudding flavor to really shine through, not necessarily the alcohol to be predominant. And Andrea, I just I just would like to say that I'm I'm actually quite thrilled that now I can have my alcohol delivered to my door with my groceries. Oh yes, so now it just comes right to the door. Mm-hmm. 
they do say, you know, we're going to look and make sure we think you're at least 25. And so far, I I have looked at least 25. So. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. London's really got all the services there. That's very nice. Well, another thing, listeners, that we wanted to bring up is that we are focusing on lots of gift ideas this month. So today we'll be introducing the Cherry Bounce. We're also going to be talking about things like homemade maraschino cherries and homemade Irish cream this month. So a couple of things coming up for you to make. In past episodes, we've talked about some items that we think would make really good gifts. Back from episode 99, those mini peanut butter cups. What do you think, Stefan? Beautiful. So festive. Bite size. I think everyone loves these also. And they had so many variations that if you have a friend who is vegan or dairy-free or nut-free, that recipe had every combination under the sun. So you could really make a nice sampler pack as well. Yeah, I think that would be a great idea. Of course, our homemade English toffee back from episode 56. That one is definitely a keeper. Oh, yeah. I know people like to get that. All the way back in episode 8, the caramel churro snack mix. Oh, yeah. Boy, that was almost two years ago, but I do remember that being really good. It was. I love making snack mix at the holidays, and that is a nice twist, a very cinnamon sugary Chex Mix, essentially, is what you're making. Yeah. Really enjoyed that one. It was really a nice twist, I think, and people were not expecting those flavors and really liked it. Yeah, and definitely a hit with kids, as I recall. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Of course, no holiday is complete without our happy people fudge. We talked about that in episode six, and that's another one that has so many variations. Yes. If you listen back to listener Vicki, she recorded a message on episode 100 on our anniversary celebration, and she talked about how often she's made that fudge with multiple variations like peanut butter and white chocolate. So that recipe is really forgiving and allows a lot of different variations. And you know, people have that knee-jerk reaction when they hear fudge, that it will be something hard to make. And I think there are plenty of recipes, especially older recipes, that are very complicated. And you're getting out your candy thermometer, and you're you're boiling it to this stage, and you're dropping it on the plate to see if it cracks, and, and all of this. This is the easiest, most delicious fudge you'll ever make. I really encourage you, if you have not made that already or added it to your repertoire, like we know many listeners have, to check it out this holiday season. It is delicious. I agree. And speaking of easy and delicious, I have something new to add to the holiday gift list. It's not something we featured in one of our episodes. Oh, yes. So I think it was listeners Jennifer and Ruth who had posted the apple cider caramels on our Facebook group page. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember, I tried making them last year, and I ran into problems. I couldn't get them off the paper. They kept sticking. Yes. And I remember at the time that I made them, I was going back and forth between two recipes. I was trying to pick between the King Arthur recipe and the recipe that I ended up using. And the recipe that I ended up using did not have any corn syrup. Okay. And it cooked to 252 degrees, whereas the King Arthur recipe cooked to 248 degrees. Oh, that's a big difference. Yeah. It's a big difference when it comes to candy making. Mm -hmm. You know how long it can take for something to rise just a degree or two, especially toward the end. Yeah. And the other big difference was the cooling time before you cut. So in the recipe that I had last year that didn't work out so well, you just chilled it for two hours and then cut it. Mm -hmm. And in the King Arthur recipe, you let it sit out for 12 to 18 hours. Wow. Oh, yeah. And then cut it. 
I'm thinking it might not have even been the ingredients as much as just mm, slightly different method. Okay. But I can tell you that King Arthur flour recipe for boiled cider caramels is to die for. Oh. I added some of that flaky cypress sea salt on top. It makes so many. You do it in an 8 by 8 pan, and they recommend cutting it in, okay. you know, 1 by 1 inch squares. So of course, you'd end up with 64 if you did it that way. I like my caramels to be more rectangular in shape, so... I didn't end up with 64, but I'm sure I got a almost like 56 or 60. Wow. And you used your own cider also. Is that right? I did. I talked about that last week in episode 101 about how we pressed our own homemade cider. So out of that apple cider pressing event, we had homemade cider to drink, which was delicious and continues to be delicious. Yeah. These boiled cider caramels, which are, I mean, five star. I can't say enough about how good these are. And then in my garage right now, in a fermentation bucket, I am trying to brew my own hard apple cider. Oh, wonderful. Oh, exciting. Yeah, I won't know for a few more weeks whether or not that works out. But Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what a fun way to take one ingredient and turn it into so many different things. Yeah, and thanks also to those listeners for pointing that they had had great success and they posted their pictures. We love to see that on our community. Whether you are baking up something from the show or your own favorites, whatever it is, obviously that kind of thing truly inspires us and other listeners also. So thanks and keep it up. Yes. Well, in that vein of listener feedback, We are going to be featuring a segment on an upcoming show in a few weeks, and we want to know what are some of your favorite holiday treats from wherever in the world you are listening. We had a really fun time a few episodes ago talking about tasty toponyms. Oh, yes. That was fun. Had a good time with that. And several of you on the Facebook page then were chiming in and saying, oh, here's something from my town or here's something from my region of my country. So we'd love to know what you are whipping up. What would it just not be the holidays without? And please let us know where you are baking. We will have a link on our Facebook page so you can look in there. You can always also send us an email. We are hosts at preheatedpodcast.com and we would love to hear What's going on in your kitchens this holiday season? Yes, indeed. Stefan, this week's Bake Along is a cherry bounce, and it comes from the Washington Post. It comes from Kathy Barrow. She is the author of Mrs. Wheelbarrow's Practical Pantry, Recipes and Techniques for Year-Round Preserving, a book title I absolutely love. And this is my first time making a cherry bounce, so why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Tell me why you picked it and what you think about it. Well, as I've mentioned over the course of both seasons, for many years I made an apricot liqueur at holiday time, and it is shockingly easy and has very impressive results. So essentially making a fruit liqueur or brandy is soaking some kind of fruit, either dried or fresh, with sugar and some kind of alcohol. Mm -hmm. And letting that sit for several weeks usually, straining it and then having what is usually a beautifully colored liqueur. You can just sip that as an aperitif. You could add that to cocktails and we'll talk about that more I think in our review of the Cherry Bounce. But when I knew we were doing a tipsy treat month, I thought, oh, what is one that I haven't done before? And you know me and my love of a good historical food fact. Yes. Cherry bounce popped up, or bounced up, as I should say, (laughs) because it turns out it was George Washington's favorite tipple. Oh, 
I love it. How can I not? Our country was founded on cherry bounce, perhaps. (laughs) Perhaps it was. This recipe, a straightforward recipe with three ingredients, uh, some cherries, some sugar, and then an alcohol of your choice, including possibly vodka, rum, cognac, bourbon, rye, or grain alcohol. I believe I will be going with frozen cherries. Andrea, any chance you can get fresh there in the Northwest this time of year? I'm sure I might be able to get some fresh cherries. I think a lot of times they will pull them out for the holidays, so I'll certainly be on the lookout for those. Okay. I don't mind using a good frozen cherry, especially if it's a local frozen cherry. Nice, yes. And the header on this recipe does note that if you use a dark cherry, like a Bing cherry, as opposed to maybe a Rainier or other type of cherry that's a little more sour, you know, obviously that's going to affect your flavor profile at the end of the liqueur curing process. But that's also part of the fun of doing these recipes, seeing what your taste preference is. Andrea, what kind of alcohol do you think you're going to use? I think I'm going to go with the vodka because she says that you can alter the liquor base to fit your taste, but that vodka keeps the cherry flavor very true. Yes. And I know I happen to have some cheap vodka in the house because (laughs) before I found my pie crust recipe that I use all the time now, my Mary Beth's Reliable Pie Crust. Yeah. I used to use the one from Cook's Illustrated or America's Test Kitchen, that foolproof pie crust that had the vodka in it. Okay. Okay. Got it. And I bought a very cheap vodka for that. So it's not something we ever drink and it's just sitting there and I'm excited to actually use it up. Yeah. Excellent. I think I might split this recipe and make a smaller variety of two. So I'm thinking about vodka as well and then also maybe some rum. I just think rum and cherry, you could have a good cocktail with maybe like a Coca-Cola, something like that at the end. So I'm kind of already (laughs) thinking ahead to what I might mix this with. Rum just seems pretty holiday-ish to me as well. So I like that idea. Yeah, yeah. Pretty straightforward instructions here. You're going to pit those cherries if they already aren't. I think frozen cherries usually come pitted, but do check. And combining the sugar and some of the liqueur. Now, Andrea, I take issue with one of these directions. It says to shake to dissolve the sugar. In what universe that's going to happen, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be stirring there. I think that stirring is just fine. I might caution to use a wooden spoon or a silicone spatula instead of metal. I don't know. Sometimes things react in a strange way. You don't want to take on any any flavors that you don't want. Mm. Then you're going to let it sit indoors in a sunny spot for about a week and then move to a dark spot for the rest of your curing. I think curing is probably a matter of taste preference. So if you haven't made this before or haven't made any kind of homemade liqueurs, part of the fun is kind of taking a little test sip here and there you kind of get to call when this is done. Okay, so it might be ready by holiday time. And if not, you can just let it keep sitting and maybe you'll have it for New Year's Eve or maybe you'll have it for Epiphany or Mardi Gras. Valentine's. I mean, it is red, very festive. Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing that's fun about giving a gift like this also is putting a little tag or something that says, you know, do not open until, and then you can kind of explain why, or that's up to whoever you give it to to have a taste preference as well. There's a nice variation here too, Andrea. Did you happen to see the peach and ginger variation? Well, what I really liked about the peach variation, she says to make it with bourbon, not rum, and then add a dozen slices of fresh ginger Mm. root. And I did think that sounded so good. We may have to revisit the peach bounce sometime in the summer when those delicious fresh peaches are around because I bet that would just be 
Ooh, divine. Oh, yeah. Mm, good point. Good point. Yeah. So that is the cherry bounce via the Washington Post and Kathy Wheelbarrow. No, her name is just Barrow. Oh, I see what it's she's just been there. <laughs> Pardon me, Kathy Barrow, who is the author of a book with the title of Mrs. Wheelbarrow, Cherry Bounce. So whip that up along with us. I guess we can't technically say bake. And uh, let us know how it goes and maybe post some pics of the potion in progress since we won't be tasting that for a little bit yet. Stefan, I think right here at the start of December is a good time for us to stop and pause and contemplate the big questions. Mm. What is the meaning of life? Who am I? And why am I here? Is there life on other planets? Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Those are all really good questions. Um, In fact, it's a good thing it's tipsy treat month because I'd need to pull out some whiskey to sit down and contemplate my answers to those. No, I'm talking about the big question, why do we bake? Which is something I often ponder at this time of year. (sighs) Okay, that's a whole lot easier to answer. But it's still a really good question. It's a time when everything is already incredibly busy and every year, what do I do? I take my regular baking schedule and completely ramp it up. And as it turns out, we're not alone in our holiday baking behavior. I found a survey, and it says that Americans don't mind spending more time in the kitchen during the holidays, Mm. with 73% admitting to a higher level of baking excitement this time of year. (laughs) This was the most fun survey I've ever read in my life. I wish I could have taken that survey. My goodness. I know. Well, we know it's not just Americans. My adopted country of England is just as crazy about baking over the holidays. I mean, look at Stir Up Sunday, which was celebrated all over the country a few weeks ago. That's right. There's one reason I think we all enjoy baking at the holidays, and that's tradition. I know I like the idea of making certain things every year and only at certain times of the year. Mm -hmm. Eggnog and fruitcake are two that come quickly to mind, but also holiday treats like fudge and toffee. It's funny, I could make fudge all year round, but for some reason, I don't. It's a treat that I completely associate with the holidays. I know exactly what you mean. I've mentioned before that I think there would be a riot in my house if I didn't bake my almond butter blossom cookies every year at holiday time. And it's something that I really enjoy doing, and my kids and my husband really look forward to it. They're delicious. I mean, they're one of my all-time favorite cookies too, but it just feels strange when I make them and eat them in, like, July. I remember those cookies. You challenged me to make those way back in episode seven. That's right. Yeah, and our holiday cookie challenge. And now it's something I look forward to and my family as well. Do you have any other holiday traditions around baking? One, since my kids were teeny, we've been decorating gingerbread houses. And I know lots of families do that this time of year. Though truthfully, I've never made the actual gingerbread house because for years, Safeway had this beautiful and really affordable pre-crafted house. And I would literally stock their bakery from like the first week of November (laughs) to be sure they hadn't sold out. And what I love about using a prefab house is just that. I'm not super interested in the creation of the house. I just want to decorate it. Right. So even though I haven't been in the States for two holiday cycles now, I hope the good folks at Safeway are still turning out their charming abodes. Here, decorating the houses can be a fun kind of cultural experience because the candy is really different. So we have fun choosing and seeing what we can find. Oh, yeah. I have seen your candy looks very different. So that's neat. 
I also love my new tradition of making mince pies, which are ubiquitous in England at this time of year. I personally think these are delicious and so adorable. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, they're a little standard or mini muffin size round that has a bottom crust, a pastry crust, mincemeat filling, and a traditional cutout star pastry on top. You can buy ready-made versions that range from really high-end at somewhere like Fortnum and Mason to just down at the local grocery store. But I love making them from scratch using my homemade mincemeat. Oh, so good. Well, back to my survey. Can you guess what the number one baked good is throughout the year for most Americans? I think I can. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> I'm going to go with cake or cookies. Got to be one of those. Survey says, that's right. <laughs> uh, it is cookies. And this increases at the holidays with 93% of bakers making three or more batches of cookies this time of year. Wow. Well, my kids would certainly say that's no surprise because cookies are definitely one of their favorites. And hold on to that cookie thought. I do have more to say on that topic. But on to another reason I enjoy baking this time of year, and that has to do with entertaining. Mm. Our family of three often struggles to finish big desserts like whole pies or cakes. And one of the many reasons I like to entertain is that it gives me a good excuse to make an extravagant dessert knowing that there will be lots of people to share it with. Yeah, that's an excellent reason to entertain, although I have no problem usually finishing a whole cake or pie myself. (laughs) You're an overachiever. You always have been. But you're right. I mean, for many of us, sharing is caring, and baking for others is the way we show we care about them. And of course, that's why I like to do lots of holiday gifting of baked goods as well, because I think it's really fun to share a special recipe or something I know that my family loves with a friend. I agree. You know, we've talked in the past about the psychological benefits of baking for others as a form of mindfulness and meditation. Yes. They say the most benefits occur when you bake not to seek attention or to outdo other people, but when you just want to share the food with people who you believe will appreciate it. Oh, yeah. And on that note, I'm about to share a shocking revelation. (laughs) Andrea, should I sit down? Grab hold of your counter instead of yourself. This year, I am not making iced, frosted Christmas cookies. What? (laughs) That's something you do every year for your holiday gifts. It is. And it's something I really enjoy doing. But I realized early in the holiday season this year when we were looking at calendars, because of some scheduling issues, I wouldn't be able to spend my traditional cookie-making weekend with my friend Barb. And I started thinking about, okay, how could I fit it in otherwise? Mm -hmm. And every time I thought about doing it, I noticed I felt really drained and exhausted when I thought about making Mm, those elaborate iced Christmas cookies all by myself. Yeah, yeah. I have seen your pictures, and it is a huge production for you. You've got the rolling and the cutting and, most of all, the icing. Ugh, the icing. (laughs) You may recall my quest for meringue powder to make the royal icing. Yes. My search for my cookie cutters, which I lost one year. And then, of course, there's all the shopping I do for adornments on top, like edible glitter for snow globes and googly eyes for the reindeers. It's fun, it's festive, but for me, it really is a group activity. There's nothing that sounds less appealing to me than sitting there and gluing googly eyes on 60 reindeers by myself. So I have given myself permission to take this year off. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is Big, big news. So (laughs) does this mean there won't be any Christmas cookies in your household this year? Well, uh, 
Aha, I didn't think that was the end of the story. What's going on? So about the same time, I happened to turn on the TV during this existential crisis of mine. (laughs) And I caught an episode of The Pioneer Woman. And she was making cookie boxes for her friends and neighbors. Okay. She was filling them up with four to five different types of cookies. And guess what? Not a single iced Christmas cookie in the whole box. Whoa. She had a really wide assortment, a no-bake cookie with oats, a chocolate mint brownie, little jam thumbprints, and a chocolate chip cookie with bacon. So is that what you're going to do? So conceptually, yes. Um, I'm not going to be duplicating those recipes. But I noticed I started feeling my own level of baking excitement (laughs) rise again when I started (laughs) thinking about the four to five cookies that I most like baking and eating. So now I'm working on my own cookie box combination. I think I'll definitely have the ginger molasses cookie from episode seven. Yeah. The Blizzard Blondies from episode 55 and the London Fog Shortbread from episode 61. The rest are up in the air, but I'm having fun thinking about the different options. Maybe a few of the ones my mother-in-law makes. She's a wonderful cookie maker, and she does some really good jam thumbprints or a nice lemon Italian cookie or those Mexican wedding cookies. Nice. Listeners, I'm open to your suggestions as well. I am looking for cookies that are easy to make, easy to shape and cut, and that travel well. Andrea, what about the bizchochito? Oh, yes. Which episode was this? It was back maybe in May of first season, and it is the state cookie of New Mexico and New Jersey. It had that really nice anise flavor, and I bet that would be very sturdy to hold up as well. That's a great idea. I think that was episode 27. And interestingly enough, since I've made that cookie, I met a family that moved here to Olympia from New Mexico, Uh and she mentioned that the traditional recipe uses lard. So, you know, I always have a ton of leaf lard this time of year for my pies. So that's a great idea. I might, I might do that. Thank you. Well, I think the nice thing about something like this cookie box is it's always fascinating and heartfelt to get a gift that means something. So these are cookies that you love, you want to share that, and that comes through. Yes. You know, it's not just maybe cookies that people are eating all year round or are necessarily even familiar to them. And I think that's what makes it so special also. I agree. I would just put in a vote for mince pies because, as we know, they travel very well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm not sure my skill level could handle uh, homemade mince. And, well, I could definitely do the pie crust. I've never made homemade mince. It's a mini pie. That's what it is. It's a mini pie. That's all it is. Okay. You love mini. You love pie. I think you've got this. It's true. It's true. And you can teach me how to make homemade mincemeat. Well, that maybe gives me a good gifting idea for you too, doesn't it? Ooh. <laughs> well, however you end up, and I hope you will report back, I am sure it will be fab. Because it sounds like you're doing the most important thing, and that is finding a baking activity that is not stressful. I mean, if it's supposed to be relaxing, there's no reason to let baking do the opposite. So listeners, true, we give you all permission to take a year off if you're finding any particular holiday baking tradition filling you with dread rather than excitement. Know that whether you bake up a delicious frosted snowflake or buy a box of ginger nuts, we're right there by your side. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. Next week, we'll find out if that cherry bounce put an extra bounce in our steps, and we'll head over to the bar and pull out some Irish whiskey for a homemade Irish cream that could be a perfect beverage treat for you or a delicious homemade holiday gift for a friend. 
Finally, we'll check in with our popular globetrotting gourmet segment when Stefan jets off to Ireland. Thanks, as always, to Anne-Marie Russell for supplying our theme music. You can find Anne-Marie on iTunes and Amazon or on annemarierussell.com. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. And if you would like to give Stefan and I a little holiday present, can I suggest that you go online and rank or review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.